Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Gift is way less about a gender thing. Alex is not a great female speaker. She's a great speaker. I'm not a, a great male worship leader. I'm a, I'm a worship leader. I'm passionate about worship. You know, to be able to walk hand in hand with your spouse and, and see them flourish and thrive in the roles and the gifts that God has, you know, opened the doors and blessed them, you know, to walk in. I think it's, it's amazing to be part of that. That was Henry Seeling. He and his wife co-pastor a church in Nashville. He's the worship pastor, and his wife, Alex, is the teaching pastor. Hi, I'm Paul Perot. Thanks for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons this weekend. Gabe will be with us later in the show. Now, there is disagreement within the church here in America and around the world as to whether a woman can function as a teaching pastor. But there's a deeper issue of functioning in one's giftedness, the abilities and talents given by God, regardless of issues like gender. And that's what this show is about. Now, before we get to the Seelys, part of functioning in one's giftedness is making sure one has the opportunities to develop one's gifts. That takes commitment to training everyone, regardless of gender or economic bracket. To help us think about that, first, here's a talk from a Q conference a few years ago featuring Nicole Baker-Fulgham, the founder and president of the Expectations Project, a nonprofit organization that develops and mobilizes faith-motivated advocates who help to close the academic achievement gap in public schools. The talk is entitled, Inspiring the Next Generation of Women. focus my time on talking about a Bible verse that's near and dear to many of us. And I want to use that Bible verse as a lens to think about what does it mean to ensure that we can help all kids, all young women and men, particularly those on the margin, to achieve their purpose and potential. It's something we think a lot about at the Expectations Project. Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You can walk into any Christian bookstore across America and probably find this verse sort of blazoned across posters, cross-stitching, knickknacks. It's something that we often see with a pretty inspirational background, maybe something like this. You can see there the mountains out in the distance sort of leading us on to unlimited possibilities on the frontier, the, the light kind of bending at exactly the right angle as if to suggest this is where God wants you to go. What is it about this verse that resonates so much with us? On the one hand, clearly the themes that it talks about are important ones. Prosperity, hope, and future. They resonate in terms of, you know, what is our plan for our life? But also, how do we understand God's calling and purpose for our lives? But if we're honest with ourselves, part of what I think a lot of us, myself included, are drawn to about this verse is the idea of perhaps landing at something maybe like this. Now, maybe not exactly those two people. They're a little Stepford-looking, but this idea, quite frankly, of, you know, getting that, like, warm sandy beach, the nice cool beverage, kind of makes us think about, gosh, God's prosperity and, 
in this verse would lead us to something wonderful, you know, kind of the American dream, the nice big house, the perfect family, the SUV or the Prius in your driveway. And those things in and of themselves are probably fine and there's nothing wrong with that. But we really want to start to reflect on, is there some way that our own assumptions and own sort of view of the world helps us look at this verse as if it's kind of going to bring us something, which may slightly distort the way that uh, God intends for us to consider this particular verse of Scripture. And if we think about the context here in America and even boil it down to the context of Q, if we're honest with ourselves, the context right here is this idea of privilege. The fact that we're here at the Q Ideas Conference, we have this luxury of thinking deeply about, you know, what is my purpose for life? Am I living out my calling? We're hearing from amazing speakers from all around the country. And the fact that we can even afford the entry fee probably means that most of us in this room, if we're honest with ourselves, have some degree of privilege. Privilege is ultimately about access. It's about connections, and it's about the ability to make choices. But if we don't come from privilege, if we're living our lives on the margin and struggling with poverty, how does that impact our ability to tap into our purpose? And that's really what I want to spend our time thinking about today. Are the 16 million young people, girls and boys, growing up in poverty in the United States, that's 22% of our population whose parents are struggling every day. How do we help ensure that those young people claim their purpose and can find God's plan for their lives? I want to put forward five supportive frameworks that, as I've looked in our organization, has thought what's holistically necessary for all girls and young people on the margins to achieve their prosperity and really just their purpose more than anything. It's these five things. First, folks have a supportive family, people, whatever the family looks like, it's individuals that care about them. We're helping young people identify self-esteem, and not in the self-help kind of way, but in the I deeply matter kind of way. Education, incredibly important. If you're going to become an engineer, if that's your purpose, you've got to have some hardcore math and science to get there. Exposure to the world. My brother and I have two parents that expose us to more than we ever probably wanted to through museum trips, literary speakers, but it helped us see ourselves and the possibilities of what we could become. And finally, a God encounter. That's ultimately how any of us deeply finds the right purpose for our lives. I want to close in on one of these particular frameworks to get a sense of what do these frameworks look like for those who may not have them. Particularly for kids growing up in poverty, they may not have any or of those frameworks at all. How do we really help understand more deeply some of the challenges that they may have in their lives. So let's zone in for a minute just on education. I lived in Los Angeles for several years, and um, I want to highlight a couple of differences between school districts. So these arrows are pointing to the Beverly Hills School District of the famous 90210 fame. We can compare that to the Compton School District where I was a public school teacher. These zip codes were 20 miles apart, but honestly, the lives of the kids could not be more different. The poverty rate was only 6% in Beverly Hills, 82% in Compton. Overwhelmingly white, overwhelmingly black and Latino in Compton compared to Beverly Hills. The high school graduation rate, 92% of the kids in Beverly Hills graduated. Only 45% of the kids in Compton ever graduated from high school. And we see this all over the country. We see this happening nationally where only half of every child and half of all kids in low-income communities will ever graduate from high school. Only one in ten will go on to college. How do we help ensure that those children can reclaim, again, their purpose when they're faced with so many challenges? It really takes us back to the supportive framework that I shared earlier. And what is our responsibility as the church to step in and help build those frameworks where perhaps they don't exist? 
We can provide wraparound support services to families who are struggling. We can provide counselors and mentors to kids who are struggling to identify their purpose and their self-esteem. We can become advocates for public public policies that are going to help kids achieve their, their ultimate goals in education. We can provide field trips and role models to help expose kids, and we can provide contextual relevant ministry to all of God's kids. Back to Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, God says. And this wonderful verse of scripture is incredibly compelling, as we already said, for for many reasons. But ultimately, we need to remember the context for this verse, both its history and the verses that come before and after it. Otherwise, we're going to get the text wrong. We're going to miss the important, important part of the context here. As we said already in America, oftentimes we see this verse as something that will lead us to, to this, right? But this whole idea of God's purpose leading us to prosperity is one that many people are struggling with to even identify their purpose, let alone prosperity. But in actuality, the context of Jeremiah 29 is the exact opposite of prosperity. It's exile and it's ruin. The people of Israel were struggling. They were beaten down. They were beaten up. Hope was dim. The future didn't look very bright for them in the context of Jeremiah 29. In fact, it looked a little more like this. This is the city of Detroit where I grew up and went to public schools. And what we often see for the many children, and certainly for the context of Jeremiah, the people of Israel's future looked more like this. Abandoned factories, burned out buildings, and shattered dreams. It's in this setting that Jeremiah calls on the people of God to remember God's promises. He reminds them that he cares deeply for them, but their prosperity isn't about getting a big mansion or wealthy sort of achievements for themselves. God's prosperity is a shared prosperity, even in the midst of exile, and it happens in the context of seeking the peace and welfare of the city. It's easy to forget a verse that happens just a few verses before Jeremiah 29, 11. But this is the context that this was being spoken in. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I deeply believe that we have an opportunity as the church to rise up and stand in the margins and pull back those kids and those young girls who are struggling with poverty. We have a chance to help them lead and then to let them lead. This is how we'll seek our own purpose, and this is what God has designed for us as the church to step in and be that breach. Thank you. Now, during that talk, you might have heard Nicole Baker Fulgham reference some pictures that you couldn't see during the show here, but you can go back and watch the talk at qideas.org. Just search for the talk, Inspiring the Next Generation of Women. Equipping all people to function in their giftedness, men and women, young and old, takes commitment. It also takes commitment to release people to function in their giftedness. And that's what the next talk featuring Henry and Alex Seeley is all about. Gabe is joining us now, and Gabe, introduce us to the Seeleys. Maybe you haven't heard of Henry and Alex. They were born and raised in Australia. They spent many years on a pastoral team at a church in Melbourne, Australia, where they pioneered a worship movement. That grew and the church grew and and became a large church. But then they felt called to relocate to the U.S. and specifically to Nashville. And so as the story goes, they began these Tuesday night Bible studies in their basement where a few people would come around. They would listen to music together. They would play music and worship together, do Bible study. And over time, it just started to grow. And there was this sense that they were encountering God in just new and fresh ways. 
And so, so many people were drawn into that. It slowly began a church, and they started a church now called Belonging Co. And at Belonging, Henry and Alex lead together. And part of what I wanted to talk with them about at Q this year was the dynamics of leading together, male and female, where Henry tends to lead more as a worship pastor and leader, and Alex tends to lead more on the teaching front, although they both can can do either. Alex is a powerful Bible teacher, and as they're leading this organization and our discussions at Q, we're talking a lot about men and women working together. We were talking about the Me Too movement. We were talking about gender equality in the church and what that looks like. And Henry and Alex just gave us this really practical picture of how they think about that and how they've come to lead together as husband and wife inside the context of a local church. And so I want you to just join with me as we sit down on the couch and I interview them for nine minutes about that conversation. And then I'll be back in just a moment to follow that up. So you guys moved here from Australia where you were just used to leading together. And that was that was kind of the norm. But then you show up in the South and all of a sudden you guys are doing things together. And, and what was that like? I mean, were there some hurdles theologically philosophically that you found as you started leading together? Yeah, I think because we had no intention of actually starting a church, we had a Bible study at home. We just took the role that we did in Australia. I was a teacher and preacher and and pastor in in the church and Henry was worship leader. So we kind of just took the same posture that we would have done in Australia. But when the church became an official church and we had people coming from different denominations, there was the theological differences of... Uh, how do I answer the question to my mum and dad that there's a female pastor and preacher? And so we were able to lead people scripturally that it's actually okay. We're not heresy, you know, <laughs> committing yeah. heresy. And Henry, you have, you're have you a great teacher. I've heard you teach as well, but you're also a musician and, and, and lead worship. And um, it's just been fun to watch the two of you share in this together and to lead so well. I know as, as my wife, Rebecca, stepped into her gifts more because it wasn't always that way. It was pretty energizing and exciting to see how together as a team we could accomplish a lot more and be on mission together. What's that been like for you? I know you guys grew up in the same youth yeah. group, right? And yeah, we did. <laughs> and we, uh, you know, we've been married for 20 years this week, actually. And uh, Congratulations. You know, thank you. And I think, you know, just realizing that um, gift is way less about it's, it's not a, a, a gender thing. You know, Alex is not a great female speaker. She's a great speaker. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a, a great male worship leader. I'm a, I'm a worship leader. It's, I'm passionate about worship. Um, so I think to, you know, to be able to walk hand in hand with your spouse and, and see them flourish and thrive in the roles and the gifts that God has, you know, opened the doors and blessed them, you know, to walk in. I think it's, it's amazing to be, yeah. you know, to, to be able to be part of that. So. Yeah, and in leading together, have you found there to be some challenges in that? I know with Rebecca and I, we, we, we get into it sometimes. You both are strong personalities and you lead, but how do you work through conflict? Yeah, fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we can sometimes dismiss that, but that's the, that's the reality of, as a believer, that's got to enter every part of your, yeah. your life in all, in all seriousness. Um, but I think really... For us, the, the the biggest challenges we maybe had in the early days were more just um, us breaking away from old mindsets or mentalities or maybe even areas of hurt from a previous season that were, were 
potentially stopping us stepping into things for this season. Yeah. But I, I feel like we've got a really good flow of just honoring each other and understanding in the same way that we would with the rest of our team, just yeah. realizing people's strengths and weaknesses. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's incredible accountability in leading something together with someone that you're married to because, you know, for me, there's no hiding. You know, for Alex, there's no hiding. It's like we're in this 24-7. And so, you know, that's beautiful and and powerful in itself, I think. I think the tensions have been just like Henry will want to do something and I'm not ready to catch up to it. Mm. So we will have the discussion. Um, But, you know, we always resolve. And I think because we've always been great friends, we've always worked together. Before we were even married, we worked in ministry together. I think there's just been this really good camaraderie of being able to go, all right, well, why do you see it that? way and it always resolves itself and the best solution is always prayer so (laughs) yeah well and we heard some talks over the last couple days about gender equality about women leading in the church and some you know the challenge that that has been in the church specifically maybe more so than other places for for us to see women be able to really step into their gifts um henry what do you see as the the reason that is, as you've experienced now 20 years of ministry, and I know you have conversations with other church leaders who just might not like your bottle or agree with it, but like, what do you think's going on in the American church? I think that's, it's an interesting, uh, especially moving to the South was quite confronting to us because there is, uh, a lot of this is religious culture, you know, of, and, and really a lot of it boils down to one or two particular scriptures that people have taken and formed a, you know an entire theology uh theological stance on that from one and i'm not, definitely not discounting those scriptures but in the context of the bible you can't read the word of god and then erase or eradicate every female leader that's had you know significant part to play in the kingdom of god all the way from the old testament through the new testament um so i think to take one or two scriptures out of perhaps the, the local context that Paul's talking about, addressing issues within the church, um, you can't take that and, and build a doctrine that surpasses everything else that the Bible, I, I believe, quite clearly displays. The fact that you know, man and woman were created in the image of God. Then we read you know, in, in Galatians 3, it talks about there's now no, you know, there's no racial difference, there's no gender difference. We're all part of this royal priesthood. So then how, as, as priests as the royal priesthood, are we then managing to take all of that authority and take women out of a part of that? I, I don't believe that's the heart of or the intention of God in that. Yeah. So. And so, so you would, just continuing down the theological path, you would see it as every individual can have the gifts of the Spirit and the actual gifts that, that are laid out for Christians to carry out in the church. And where you see those gifts, you just lift them up. Absolutely. I think gifting is not gender uh, specific at all. Yeah. Um, talk about just your your ministry here in Nashville. I mean, it's just been phenomenal. I've seen so, so many. There's, there's such a power of, of truth telling in your in your teaching, and also just anointed charismatic worship where people are free to worship. And it's it's hard to find churches these days where we're seeing. Both of those, it feels like they're either really great worship experiences, but the teaching maybe is a little light. And with you guys, it's not the case. It's it's both and. Um, talk about your commitment to, to both and. 
I'm just going to say something really simple. I think Henry and I have always been hungry for the presence of God. I believe it's the presence of God in that that changes people. Anyone that had an encounter with Jesus in the New Testament was changed. I don't believe in program or information changing people. So we try and kind of get out of the way and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to lives. And don't underestimate, millennials are hungry for the real Jesus. And they're hungry for the real Holy Spirit. And when you make room for that, people are going to be drawn to it like a moth to a flame. So we've always been intentional about presence. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think one, one thing that we say often in our church is we're, we're much more about pursuing revelation than just information. Yeah. Um, because there's, I mean, information, we, we live in a day and age where we have access to more information at, at more levels than we ever have in the entirety of humanity. Um, Yet people are still lost, still hurting, still broken. So there's got to be something beyond just information. So, you know, we're really, we're we're not just trying to teach people about Jesus. We're trying to bring people to Jesus. And so, you know, from a worship point of view, you know, we, we sing worship songs like every other church does. But beyond that, that's, it's not a means to an end. We're actually cultivating an atmosphere and a presence where people are, mm-hmm. their, their hearts are focused, their minds are focused. They're, they're understanding, perceiving that, that the presence of God is there in that place. And through that, you know, we believe yeah. that we're seeing people's lives change. So. And I know the, the music that your team and you guys have been writing is now being sung around the world. It's just been fun to show up in different places and see that these anthems are now part of the church globally and alex i know you have a book that you just finished that's very exciting about tailor-made and and just how people can really understand who they were meant to be just give us a little moment on on kind of the thesis there and what you're hoping to unlock for people yeah i think being a pastor uh, for 24 years the thing that i've found quite alarming in the church is the lack of identity in christ in the church when God made us to be original, to leave a mark that nobody else can leave, to speak words that nobody else is, you know, everything that you're speaking here at this conference, we're the kingdom-minded carriers to to bring change. But if you don't know who you are, you can't then reflect the glory of God. And so my journey of developing, because I was a very insecure person, and so it's just that journey of finding out who God says I am, swiping all the labels who parents, teachers, leaders, whoever, peers say that I am, and living from that fullness. And so I'm really hoping that this book will just just reawaken the identity in Christ and discover how God designed us to be. It's such an important theological concept in the midst of a culture where it's all about our own taste and who we want to be to really start to root this back into where it was meant to be. Well, thank you both for being with us, for being here at the whole event, and just sharing with us your wisdom and your experience. Thank you, guys. They're a fun couple to talk to, as you can tell, and both have strong opinions. I mean, you can hear just their passion for this idea that, look, You know, as Henry's saying, you know, that his wife, Alex, she's not just a great female speaker. She's a great speaker. And he's not just a great male worship leader. He's a worship leader that's passionate about worship. And and I think that is the idea here is that we each have callings. We each have gifts. And we need to use those gifts. I know in the follow-up to Q, some of the conversations I had with pastors and churches where they don't have female pastor teachers You know, just wondered, well, are we trying to say something more here theologically about the need for women to be in teaching positions in the church, leadership positions? 
And I would say the answer to that is there wasn't a specific agenda here besides saying we believe women have amazing gifts and they should be leading. But we also respect that there's certain doctrinal decisions and denominations and positions on women teaching, women as pastors, women as elders that differ throughout the church. And so uh, in this conversation, it wasn't really a goal to get into the theology behind what they're operating in at the Belonging Co. as much as it was to say, what is it like to lead together, husband and wife, as couples? So many couples that come to Q are in that position where they're leading together in the same organizations, the same companies, um, but also in ministry. What does it mean to support one another? What does it mean to come alongside and around one another in partnership where your spouse is using the gifts that they've been given? And so I hope this for you just stirs that conversation amongst you if you're married amongst you and your spouse, or maybe amongst you and your friends, about how do you encourage and support one another? How do you kind of remove in some ways just looking at a person uh, based on their specific sex or gender, but you actually look at them as a human being made in the image of God that God's given amazing gifts to? And how is it that we in the church, how is it that we in our culture can be supportive of lifting up those people, lifting up their gifts, allowing them to flourish, and allowing more people to benefit because of their gifts? And so I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I just want to remind you this summer as you're taking some time away, maybe you're getting on vacation, maybe you're having the opportunity to read a long book, or maybe it's just that you're having a chance to deep dive on a few topics or issues that through Q, we have hundreds and hundreds of talks, podcasts, series that are all there for you to benefit from, for you to listen to alone, maybe as you're out for a run or working out, or maybe it's just in your car, or maybe it's that you want to bring your family together and listen to a talk, a conversation. I know a wonderful talk I want to recommend to you on technology by Andy Crouch, describing the idea of managing technology. It's one of the favorites for families who are taking a vacation, coming together with one another and saying, hey, let's rethink our media use. Let's rethink how we as a family are operating or being operated by our systems of, of digital technology. And if you go to our website at qideas.org, you can search Andy Crouch and you can see this talk he gave on managing technology. It'd be a wonderful way to start off a week, start off a weekend, just take a little break from the norms of the busyness of life and rethink how are we operating as families? How are we operating as individuals? What's driving the way that we operate daily? Are we taking time to show up in one another's lives to, to really have true relationship? And so um, I hope you'll find that and many other resources that will encourage you in your walk as you try to live out a faithful Christian life in the midst of a culture that's constantly changing. But what a great opportunity that we get to live through that and we get to be a part of it. And so I hope you'll have a wonderful week and a good summer. We'll look forward to our next conversation together on the Q podcast. Q Ideas comes your way every week. It's a cooperation between Q Ideas as well as Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.